All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday. I'm Mo Shwanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm coming to you to start the week from the Wall Street Journal Tech Live Conference over in Laguna Beach, California, where I'm hearing from some of the leaders in tech and media uh, and what's new, what's next, uh, looking to bring you headlines from this conference as the week goes on, on Instagram and on this podcast. In the meantime, this is what we're watching on this Tuesday, October 25th. Great Britain has a new prime minister, their third in just three months. I'll tell you about Rishi Sunak. The U.S. Justice Department made a major announcement on Monday about Chinese spying operations here in the U.S. The midterms are now officially two weeks away as of today, and the Democrats' concerns about losing the House and Senate are increasing with some recent poll numbers. I'll tell you about how some of them are pivoting their message with just two weeks to go. We got a check this weekend on how streaming continues to dominate traditional television. We got some new numbers out from September. I'll have those for you along with the surge YouTube is making. And we will remember actor and comedian Leslie Jordan, who died unexpectedly on Monday. But let's start in England, where Rishi Sunak is set to take over as soon as today, officially as the new prime minister of Great Britain. He effectively won the race on Monday to be the leader of the Conservative Party and therefore the new prime minister after former prime minister Boris Johnson pulled out of the race. It became apparent over the course of the past 36 hours that the majority of the voting members of the Conservative Party were leaning in Sunak's direction. He will now be the third prime minister in three months and the fifth prime minister in six years all of them from the Conservative Party. It's been quite a revolving door as many of them have been dealing with the challenges of executing Brexit, the uh, British exit from the European Union. Uh, And so you've gone through a whole bunch of them, David Cameron, Theresa May, uh, Boris Johnson, uh, and most recently Liz Truss. So Rishi Sunak will try to succeed where many of them have failed and some have run into some corruption uh, and scandal issues. Here's your most recent recap on how we got to where we are today. You might recall Boris Johnson. He was prime minister for a while. He had to resign over the summer due to a number of scandals. Rishi Sunak actually served as his treasury chief, though resigned because of Boris Johnson's scandals. He didn't want to have to deal with that anymore. That then led Boris Johnson to resign. There was a runoff between Sunak and Liz Truss over the summer to replace Boris Johnson as prime minister. Sunak finishes the runner-up. Liz Truss uh, won, though she took over in September and only ended up serving for 45 days, the shortest prime ministership in UK history. Her economic plan was ridiculed. She wanted to lower taxes on the rich, despite uh, all of the economic stress that the country is under. She lost the confidence of her party 
and the country very quickly. And so she resigned last week. Uh, the conservatives promised within a week to yet name a new prime minister. And so they have now coalesced around Sunak. He is 42 years old. He is going to be the youngest prime minister in the UK in more than 200 years. He's described by the media in Great Britain as a political prodigy whose youthful looks, sharp suits, smooth, confident manner uh, has earned him the nickname Dishy Rishi. I should also note, and I ran these numbers for folks on Instagram, he is also one of the richest people in England. He's worth $800 million, which, by the way, is double the worth of the royal family. We should add, though, that much of that value comes from his wife's family uh, from the big tech company, Infosys. So Sunak spent Monday preparing to take over 10 Downing Street. Uh, the official handover will happen when Liz Truss visits King Charles III to formally resign. Then Charles will accept her resignation and then welcome Sunak as the uh, new prime minister. Uh, for King Charles, whose reign has been less than two months, this will be his second prime minister. Sunak faces major challenges given the political chaos of just the last few months and years, an economy that has been floundering. The UK is the only G7 country whose economy is smaller than it was before COVID. The G7 is the world's seven largest economies. Sunak, upon taking over, had put out a statement saying the United Kingdom is a great country, but there is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We need stability and unity, and I will make it my utmost priority to bring our party and our country together. Also notable here, Sunak is the first person of color to take over Great Britain. About 7.5% of the UK population are from Asia. Uh, Sunak is a Hindu. He has taken previous oaths of office on the sacred Hindu text instead of the Bible. The president of a prominent Hindu temple told CNN that Sunak becoming prime minister is the Barack Obama moment for people of Indian descent in the UK. Sunak's grandparents were born in India. Uh, his parents grew up in East Africa and made it their way to the UK in the 1960s. By the way, one final thing here for many of you asking why Brits didn't get a chance to vote, you know, keep in mind, you know, some of you are looking at this being like, why are they going through so many prime ministers and the Conservative Party just gets to keep selecting new ones? Well, the way things work due to the parliamentary system in the UK, the last general election in Great Britain was held in 2019. So constitutionally, another is not required until 2024. The Conservatives won an overwhelming majority in 2019. And so that has led us now to go through Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, and now Rishi Sunak. It would actually require the Conservatives to literally say, yes, we're giving up power and throwing uh, things to a national election, which they would not do very well in right now, given how unpopular they are. And so they have no interest in a national election until it's constitutionally required in about two years. And so the revolving door has continued. Okay, our next story brings us back to the U.S., where the Justice Department yesterday announced charges against 13 Chinese government and intel officials who tried to unlawfully exert influence here in the U.S. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland rolled out three different cases, three different indictments, alleging separate schemes at a news conference on Monday. The Biden administration is intensifying its efforts to put the spotlight on alleged covert operations by the Chinese government here in America. So it was a trio of criminal cases, including one significantly in which Chinese operatives were accused of attempting to pay bribes for inside information about the prosecution of the Chinese telecom giant Huawei. In that case, two Chinese officials were paying bribes in the form of Bitcoin uh, to an official who they thought was going to give them sensitive details about the investigation going into Huawei over at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of New York. But alas, that person turned out to be an agent working for the FBI who was handing the Chinese intel officials phony documents. The Chinese ended up paying $41,000 in Bitcoin in exchange for what they believed was inside information. Instead, the FBI's double agent 
sent them a phony document that was marked secret, which actually just contained publicly available information. So that's the first case, which is pretty significant. The Chinese intel think they are able to get into a U.S. law enforcement and get information on Chinese companies. Then there was a second case the DOJ announced on Monday that charged seven Chinese nationals with trying to forcefully repatriate a Chinese national, basically trying to get someone out of America and back to China. Then there was a third case in which uh, four Chinese officials were targeting various people on behalf of the Chinese government here in the U.S. The FBI director, Christopher Wray, uh, spoke yesterday and said that the cases show that Beijing is trying to, quote, lie, cheat, and steal its way to a competitive advantage in technology. Notably, of the 13 people they announced charges against, 10 are Chinese intelligence officers and Chinese government officials. But it remains to be seen if most of them ever are brought to justice. All but two of the 13 of those suspects remain at large, and D.C. does not have an extradition treaty with China. And you can imagine the Chinese government ain't handing any of those people over to the U.S. anytime soon. Okay, we got some tragic news out of the St. Louis area on Monday. A school shooting uh, at the Central Visual and Performing Arts High School in South St. Louis, where a teenage girl and health teacher were shot to death. Police quickly confronted the gunman inside the school and killed him. The murderer was a 19-year-old male who had just graduated from the school last year. In addition to the two people the shooter killed, seven other students were injured. One survivor heard the shooter say that he was, quote, tired of everybody in the school. His gun actually jammed at one point, giving kids time to escape. The interim St. Louis Police Commissioner, Michael Sack, uh, spoke following the shooting, praising the uh, police quickly getting there and ensuring there were no further deaths. He actually said that the school had seven security officers, metal detectors, and all the doors were locked, but somehow the gunman was still able to get into the building. One of the security guards apparently noticed the gunman trying to get into the building and allowed them time to call the police. But the police commissioner, as of Monday, wouldn't say how the shooter was able to get through the locked door or why the security officers weren't able to stop him. Uh, until he was able to kill a couple people. The St. Louis police commissioner added that the gunman had no prior criminal history before today. Okay, now to politics, where the midterms are two weeks from today. I hope everyone here is registered, is either early voted, or is getting ready to vote on election day. And with just a little bit to go, Democrats are in a desperate attempt to fight both economic and historical headwinds to preserve their control of Congress. Democratic candidates for House and Senate are struggling to find a closing message on the economy as it becomes readily apparent to them that that is the top issue for voters. They're trying to figure out a way that will acknowledge the deep uncertainty that troubles most voters while also making the case that they hold the solutions despite being in charge for the last two years. Keep in mind, if you look at this historically, that the party that controls the White House typically loses seats in Congress in the first midterms. It happened to Bill Clinton in 1994. It happened to Barack Obama in 2010. It happened to Donald Trump in 2018. Typically, voters, after two years with one president in power, tend to give the other party more seats. But the issue Democrats face is they have a very razor-thin advantage in the House, where Pelosi just has a several-seat majority. And then, of course, the Senate is 50-50. That means even losing a minimal amount of seats means potentially losing control of the House and Senate. Democrats for a while now have been focused on abortion, criticizing Republican extremism, trying to bring back Trump as really their main focus, especially since the Roe v. Wade overturned back in June. But polls right now show that that message isn't working. It's about the economy, economy, inflation, which Republicans have been hitting them hard on. Democrats have had trouble saying, yes, we've accomplished some things in the past couple of years in terms of infrastructure and some bills, but we feel your pain and you should give us more time to get things back on track. So the New York Times reports that on Monday, Democrats in several states across the country unveiled new messaging 
that drops the focus on abortion and switches tax to the economy. What they're trying to do is incorporate the achievements, the bills passed in the past couple of years, expressions of sympathy on the economy, and warnings about how Republicans could make the economy worse. On Friday, notably, four veteran Democratic strategists published a piece in the liberal magazine American Prospect that pled with Democrats to find a new message that acknowledges the pain of rising prices and answers voter concerns on the economy. They argued in that piece that Democrats need to convey their legislative successes while also making Republicans the boogeymen, looking back at Republican votes the past couple years on popular measures like capping the price of insulin or uh, going up against wealthy corporations that are jacking up prices and reaping more profits. Two weeks is a lifetime in politics. It'll be interesting to see uh, how this messaging plays out when we start to get results two Tuesdays from now. Okay, we have a lot more news ahead in this podcast, but let's take a quick break here to thank our sponsor for this edition, Athletic Greens. So I just started taking Athletic Greens' AG1 supplement a couple weeks ago, and I'm really excited to share my experience with you. As many of us know, trying to get all your vitamins in can be really hard to keep track of and can get pricey. Until recently, I was actually taking vitamins a couple with breakfast, a couple with lunch, and a couple with dinner. I've been using the AG1 supplement for about a month now, and it's just very simple. One scoop with a glass of water in the morning, and that's it. The AG1 powder contains 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support your gut health, support your stomach. All of this combines to really help you build a strong immune system as we head into this cold and flu season. And I have some extra good news for Mo News listeners. Athletic Greens is giving all Mo News podcast listeners a free one-year supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D in addition to five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can visit athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News to learn more about all that AG1 can do for your health and take advantage of the offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription to AG1 Powder or try it one time for just a month. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News, M-O-N-E-W-S, to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, we got some concerning education news on Monday, uh, the results of the authoritative national exam, and it found that students in most states and across almost all demographic groups have experienced troubling setbacks in both math and reading scores. It's called the National Assessment of Educational Progress. It offers the most definitive indictment yet of the pandemic's impact on millions of school children. In the test's first results since the pandemic began, math scores for eighth graders fell in nearly every state. It actually represents the steepest decline ever recorded in that exam. Just 26% of eighth graders were deemed proficient in the most recent exam. That's down from 34% just three years ago. The exam was also given to fourth graders who fared just slightly better. There were declines in 41 states. Just 36% of fourth graders, just over one in three were proficient in math. That's down from 41%. So those are the math scores. They also tested reading. And it turns out that reading scores also declined in more than half of states continuing a downward trend that had begun even before the pandemic. No state showed sizable improvement in reading, and only about one in three students met proficiency standards. The exam is administered by the federal government. It is considered more rigorous than state tests. It sampled nearly 500,000 fourth graders and eighth graders in 10,000 schools between January and March. Okay, let's head to a couple headlines now from the streaming world. Apple is hiking fees for the Apple Music and Apple TV Plus subscription services for the first time. They are just the latest of these streamers to be hiking up fees amid inflation 
and slowing subscription growth. In the US, Apple TV Plus for new and existing subscribers will increase to $6.99 a month. That's a 40% increase from the original $4.99 a month that some of us are paying. Some of their more popular shows are The uh, Morning Show, uh, I Like For All Mankind, and Tehran. Apple has been in dabbling in the streaming world for about three years now. Meanwhile, they're also increasing the price of Apple Music. Uh, for those of you who don't use Spotify and use Apple Music, they're increasing uh, the fee there from $9.99 to $10.99 per month for an individual plan. A family plan is also going up. And for those of you who love all things Apple, there's the Apple One Bundle, which includes Apple Music and Apple TV Plus. That is now going up to $16.95 per month. You also apparently get more iCloud space and Apple News Plus, as well as Apple Fitness with that whole Apple One package. Staying here with streaming for this next story, this is probably no surprise uh, to most of us of a certain age bracket, but for the third consecutive month, Nielsen says Americans are streaming more than watching old-fashioned broadcast or cable TV. What's notable here is that this is the first September to see this. September is the typical return of football on uh, network television, as well as the fall TV season lineup, and yet that could not drag down streaming in the year 2022. Streaming now commands 37% of all television viewing. That's followed by 33% of Americans who watch cable, and that's followed by 24% of Americans who watch network TV like CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox. Notably, when you break on streaming numbers, more Americans are watching YouTube than any other service, even Netflix. YouTube obviously for years has been popular on computers and mobile devices, but increasingly people are turning to YouTube on their TV screens. YouTube now says that 135 million people logged into its YouTube app from TVs last year. And that doesn't count YouTube TV. We're just talking about regular YouTube. Netflix had long been the most popular streaming service in the U.S. When I say long, I'm talking about a few years now in the streaming era that we're in. YouTube's always been just slightly behind them and has now officially overtaken them. Okay, we're going to end here with some sad news as we found out on Monday that actor Leslie Jordan died at the age of 67. You might remember Jordan from his time on Will and Grace or American Horror Story or frankly all those viral videos that he put out during COVID that entertained so many of us. Jordan died on Monday in a car crash in Hollywood. This is according to both TMZ and the LA Times. Jordan earned a huge following between 2020 and 2021 uh, as he was in pandemic lockdown. Many of us were. And he took to Instagram to just post uh, hilarious videos of himself, you know, just talking to the camera, uh, engaged in various antics. A representative for the actor put out a statement on Monday that said, quote, the world is definitely a much darker place today without the love and light of Leslie Jordan. Not only was he a mega talent and a joy to work with, but he provided an emotional sanctuary to the nation at one of its most difficult times. Prior to that, many of us first saw Leslie Jordan in action, uh, playing the role of Beverly Leslie on Will and Grace. He actually won an Emmy for that part in 2006. He also had a recurring role on the uh, Mayan Bialik comedy, Call Me Cat, and played a whole number of roles in the American Horror Story franchise. This really is such a sad and unexpected loss uh, for many of us who enjoyed his Instagram feed uh, during the height of COVID. He really was a true joy to watch when some of us were so scared about what was going to happen next. All right, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Podcast, telling your friends and family about us. Please follow the podcast on the app you're listening to us on right now so you don't miss a single episode. We have another bonus edition coming out this week in addition to the daily episodes. So uh, subscribing or following the show on your app, make sure you don't miss a thing. Also, if you can, please be sure to review the show. Every review makes a difference and helps us continue to grow the program. You can email me your feedback on the show over at podcast at mo.news. You can also subscribe to the Mo News newsletter for a bit of what we're doing in your inbox. You can do that over at monews.bulletin.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram over at, at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.